Okay. Not triathlons, but there is a duathlon on the 9th of October if anybody wants to ride and run. No swimming. <laughs> duathlon, yep. It's too cold for swimming, yep. Right, how many people here are Christians? I'm assuming everybody, right? Because, like, I pretty much know you all. Well, that's a good question. <clears throat> Here's the issue, guys. You know, when we're talking about getting people to know who Jesus Christ is, I think the, the bottom line problem is that most of us have a pretty pathetic idea of that. Um, and I got this interesting little article, and I'm just going to read a little tiny bit of it, uh, where I think they've kind of captured the idea. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Its contours can reduce God to something of a divine butler who remains aloof from his people until they summon him to address some felt need or who only asks that his people be nice to others. Even a superficial examination of Jesus' actual teachings reveals how unbiblical this form of discipleship really is. But it is also clear the state of affairs does not plague merely the younger generation of Christians. The researchers who conducted this study have concluded that Christian young people have adopted this version of Christianity, so the version being moralistic therapeutic deism, because their parents and churches have mentored them towards this perspective. A watered-down gospel so devoid of God's self-giving love in Christ Jesus, so immune to the sending power of the Holy Spirit, that we wonder why we struggle to get your generation into church. When is the last time anyone here prayed for a miracle? Okay. Today? Okay, now I'm going to ask a tougher question. How do you know it was a miracle and not just a regular prayer? <laughs> Is that like winning lotto? Okay. So in this week, recently, there's only one person here out of our 14 young adults, two, two people. Okay, and I agree. Now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Realistically, though, how many people here believe that God can, you know, grow a limb? How many people here have seen God grow a limb? I have. I have seen a lot of miracles. I've prayed for a lot of miracles. I've seen a lot of people die, too. Um, doesn't stop me praying. So I think that that's the issue in terms of when we're talking about sharing Jesus and how we share him and what that's about is we, we really need to get a grip on who Jesus is. And I understand from Jace that you guys have been talking about who Jesus is over the last few weeks, right? Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you that your word will just hit our hearts tonight and help us, Lord, catch a hold of what your vision is for the world and what your dream is for seeing the lost come into the kingdom, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So the first question is really, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus, in terms of objective truth, sits outside of us and our experience of him. And unfortunately... 
you know, like I've just said, who's seen a limb grow? And nobody is putting their hands up. Who's seen somebody get out of a wheelchair? Who has actually seen miracles happening? Some miracles, okay. Who's seen a lot of financial miracles? Okay, so we've seen financial miracles, but we haven't seen a limb grow. I think that says more about our culture than it does about Jesus Christ. It says more about what we ask for than about what he can do. And I think that's where the the problem lies in sharing Jesus Christ. Because if you come with this mamby-pamby gospel of, you know, oh, Jesus is my saviour and he's so, you know, Jesus is the answer. Yeah, what the hell was the question, you know? Um, If you come with that kind of mamby-pamby Christianity, I am telling you, you will not reach the lost. Because they've got a lot of other mamby-pamby stuff going on that they're not listening to already. So unless you really know Jesus Christ and know him for yourself in a real way, unless you get to grips with how he lives and works in you, then you're not going to have any power in terms of sharing. So a few kind of highlights in terms of the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. First thing, Christ was a man of action. He very seldom, you know, like he slept on the boat, he wandered off in the hills praying, but he really wasn't somebody who sat around on his fat butt waiting for stuff to come to him. And in fact, he was so common that people didn't know who he was except by reputation. Even when they arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had to mark him out. Sorry, Judas had to mark him out by kissing him. So there are 11 disciples lined up plus Jesus. There's 12 men standing there and the only way they knew which one was Jesus Christ was the one Judas kissed. That is how common and how much he mixed with the everyday people. He did not keep himself, you know, as a guru on a hill preaching sermons of niceness. And I was most offended to see the Dalai Lama on TV this week. It's a whole other story. So he was a man of action and his works were works of compassion. Jesus was a teacher and he clarified truth and he didn't pull any punches. He was pretty straight down the line. You know, whether it was with the woman at the well, like, you know, you've had so many husbands already and like the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband and you need to repent, or whether it was with the Pharisees who he called whitewashed tombs, Jesus was very much clarifying truth. This is how it is. He wasn't like mamby-pambying, oh, you poor thing, oh, let me hear your sad story. He was a man of compassion and action, but very much clarifying truth. He was definitely our saviour. He was absolutely the demonstration of God's love on this earth. He was a friend of sinners. Jesus was absolutely an emotional man. He wept. He got angry. He got so angry, he whipped people. How many guys here have lost their temper to that extent? That would just be me then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jesus was a very emotional man. And then we go to friends and we say, oh, come to church and, you know, come to Empire and 
you know, you need to get saved. And why do we need to get saved? Oh, well, maybe Pamby Jesus died on a little cross for you because he loves you. And, you know, and then we go, gee, I wonder why they're not listening. Um, you know, so sometimes when we're presenting Christ, we need to be clear about what that means, who he is. And here's the key. You should be preaching Jesus all the time and only use words when absolutely necessary. So what I'm saying is, if you read between the lines, and you can all get offended now, what I'm saying is the problem with people not becoming Christians is us. We are mamby-pamby Christians a lot of the time. We are not clarifying truth. We are not strong. We are not emotional enough. We are not compassionate enough. We do not do enough works of compassion and love. We do not give our lives for others. We pray for financial miracles and we donate to the missionaries and we be nice to people, but that is not Christianity. Jesus was not nice to people. So we are the problem. So kind of, and I know everybody's just kind of gone into a little bit of shock, take a deep breath, breathe breathe we are the problem people if you are not representing christ authentically then i don't know what you're showing people and you know one of the things that really gets my goat (laughs) just one of them yeah well this this is just the one i'm going to pick on tonight is when christians go well, I was talking to my friend and they said the F word and then they realised I was there and they apologised to me because they knew I was offended. And I'm like, dude, get a life. Anyway, okay. <laughs> oh, just be nice. Be nice. That's <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I just find that that kind of attitude of Christians is pathetic. I'm sorry, but, you know, we're the ones who should be apologising to the world for presenting them with a pathetic Christ. They ought not to be apologising to us for swearing. What do you expect them to do? They don't know Christ. I do know Christ and I still swear, so, you know, poor Pastor Mike's one day is going to have a heart attack, but, you know, (laughs) he's just... (laughs) But anyway... Seriously, you hear what I'm saying, right? We are the problem. We're in the way of people getting to know Jesus. And so the only thing to do is for us to get out of the way. The first way we're going to do that is, number one, is you need to know who Jesus Christ is to you. Who is Jesus in your life? And if the Jesus in your life is some mamby-pamby, nice Christian kind of presentation who takes up an offering then you know fire him and find out who Christ is because I don't know who you're serving but it's not Jesus Christ as presented in the gospels it is not that God okay if it's like be nice to my neighbor and take them cookies and you know never tell them off for their sinful life well that's also not Jesus Christ So there's a balance in clarifying truth and how we do that. And that's like, you know, you can talk about that in one of your Bible study duties at some stage. So who is Christ to me and why do I serve him? And the bottom line with that, of course, is 
that if Jesus Christ be the Son of God and died for me, then I have no option but to give my all for him. C.T. Studd, one of our great missionary spokesmen. The second thing is why the gospel makes sense. If you don't have answers for the tough questions, then you've got no business preaching the gospel. If you can't explain sin, disaster, love and pain in the light of the gospel, you've got no business preaching the gospel. Because most people walk through the valley of the shadow of death at some stage in their lives. And if you cannot bring Christ into that space, then he's meaningless. The gospel is meaningless. It's a nice religion for nice days, for nice people who are going to be nice to their neighbours. But it's not a gospel for hard places where people go through sin and suffering. And if it's not that kind of gospel, it's meaningless. So you have to clarify in your head. Now, we did that series earlier this year on, you know, views of the world and all that business. In a nutshell, because, you know, Jace gave me a time limit. So, you know, we can override him though, right? Okay, animism. <laughs> the problem with animism is that there is no end in sight. There's no clear explanation for creation. There's no clear explanation for the rules of good and bad. Okay. The problem with Buddhism and Hinduism is that at a very fundamental level, if Buddhism or Hinduism are true, if karma is the way it is, then the world should be getting better and better. Like at least over several generations, we should be in a better place than we were 500 years ago, right? And yet the state of mankind is just as bad, if not worse. So at a very basic reasoning level, karma doesn't make sense because we're not getting any better people. In terms of Judaism and Islam, if rules were going to make the world a better place, both Judaism and Islam by now, I mean, Judaism's been around 6,000 years, Islam at least for the last 1,000 or so, give or take, right? By now, we should have actually had a bit of a concept of the fact that rules don't make the world a better place and they don't explain sin and suffering. So the only adequate explanation for sin and suffering is the gospel. The only adequate explanation is the fact that God created the world, that sin came into the world because we chose pride over obedience. And from the first day we did that, we created the problem. And we are all born with original sin. And so we all continually choose pride over obedience. The single biggest battle in any Christian's life is always going to be pride over obedience. <coughs> so if you can't intellectually reason out why the gospel makes more sense than anything else, then you can't truly explain the reason for your hope. Why do I believe in eternity? Well, because heaven and hell make sense if you have a look at the state of the earth today. It doesn't make sense to have no eternity. Kind of, I'm going to die and just kind of decompose in, in some grave somewhere and never be heard from again. 
doesn't make sense in the light of sin and suffering on the planet. It doesn't make sense that every 23 minutes a child is taken into slavery. It doesn't make sense. It only makes sense in the light of the gospel. It only makes sense in the light of creation and the fall. So you need to work hard intellectually. And there's another problem, lazy Christians. Holy cow, if I had a dollar for every lazy Christian, I'd be a rich woman, let me tell you. You know, we just want people to tell us what to do. Just give me the five rules and then let me live my nice happy life. Don't actually make me think about why I believe what I believe. Too hard. Well, folks, no room in my little world for people like that, as you all know. I just am very intolerant of laziness, intellectual or otherwise. So you have to be very clear about why you believe what you believe if you're going to actually present it to somebody else. The third thing is that we're called to do life. And this is really, really a key ingredient, particularly for Gen Y. I hear a lot of stuff about Gen Y. But the bottom line is, actually, let's have a look. Luke chapter 9. See, we knew we'd get to the Bible eventually. Okay. And verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that is Jesus Christ, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the, bed, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So no, you can't go and bury your father. You can't go and say goodbye to your family. You've been called. Your options are obedience or you're out. You're out of the game. Think that's harsh? Turn over to Luke 14. Verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. 
In the same way, if any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure heap. It's thrown out. He who hears ears to hear, let him hear. This call to discipleship is not a call to knowing a nice Jesus and living a nice Christian life. It is a call to sacrificing everything you are, everything you own and everything you want to the kingdom. It's laying down your life for the king. It will cost you everything. But we are in it together. We will lay our lives down together. Jesus is a strong and emotional God of action and he calls you to the kingdom. There is no room for cowards here. If you're wanting people to see that Jesus Christ, you need to be him. You need to be the Jesus of the gospel. You need to be the disciple that lays down his life. You need to be the one to make the sacrifices. You need to be the one that Jason can count on to come and mop floors or do music or whatever. Because we would all rather be somewhere else in the flesh, right? And I was asking some of you guys earlier, right? What did you do last week? Everybody would rather be somewhere else in terms of, you know, it'd be much more fun dancing. Right? However, would the world know Jesus Christ if that's all we did? If we were nice people who went and did that all the time? No. And that's where the sacrifice comes in. That's where the difficulty and the challenge comes in of choosing obedience over pride. And it is difficult, but we do it together. And if we can present that Jesus Christ to people who do not know him, it is very hard to resist. To me, Jesus Christ is irresistible. The church is easy to resist. Jesus Christ himself is irresistible. And the power of evangelism lies in presenting Jesus Christ to the world. And that looks like a lot of different things on different days. Last week for me, as we were talking about earlier, last week for me that meant being the skipper. And it also meant, you know, calling the police when somebody got out of hand and being the, the sensible person and keeping an eye on everybody else, right? Last week, that's what it meant. Now, yes, it was fun dancing, but that's the Jesus Christ in action. Because absolutely, when people are in trouble, they will ask me to pray. So we need to be really clear about the Jesus we present. And unfortunately, we've been weak at doing that as Christians. 
and we've held God to a weak standard. We haven't asked for the miracles. We haven't asked for the big things. We haven't asked... And when's the last time that we actually said, God, we want you to really actually fill this room with young adults who love Jesus Christ? When's the last time we asked a bold prayer like that? And as young adults, you're getting into, I guess once you hit your mid-twenties, you lose idealism. Every major movement that's ever happened around the world in terms of rebellion, in terms of bringing down a government, etc., has been led by university-age students. Every major revolution, including the revolution in missions, led by university-age people. Why? Because you're still idealistic. You still believe God can. Once you hit your 20s and you've been through some of the valleys of the shadows of death, the shine goes off the gospel sometimes. You lose idealism. You forget that God can do anything. And you stop believing. And the challenge for you guys as young adults who are hitting that mid-20s age, some of you are there, some of you are getting there pretty soon, is not to allow disappointment to remove the shine of idealism. So I will still pray for the dying. And they will still possibly die, but I will pray that they live. I will still pray for limbs to grow. I will still pray for people to get up out of wheelchairs. I will still do that. And if 20 people in a row all die after I've prayed, I will still do it because it doesn't mean God can't. So that's the, that's the life we need to live as Christians. We need to live bigger. We need to really break out of our nice Christian world where everything, you know, little Jesus tennis shoes and all this kind of business. Um, you know, Jesus stickers on our cars. God bless them, worst drivers in the world, man. <laughs> Tell ya. Um, <laughs> how, how many people are stickers? Sorry about that, guys. It's, okay, you all can go to Pastor Mike and say, you know, Valerie offended us. She said all these horrible things about us. Um, but it's true. You know, you get stuck on Albany Highway, you see a Jesus sticker, you just know they're going to do 55. <laughs> Holy cow. Dude, that's fine. Just do it in the left-hand lane. Nobody made you a policeman. If I want to do 70, let me do it. Okay. (laughs) It's true, right? Yeah. So the question I sometimes ask people is, you know, when we we make rules, and sometimes with non-Christians in particular, as soon as you say you're a Christian, the first response you get is about rules. Oh, you're not allowed to drink. Oh, you're not allowed to smoke. You're not allowed to do this, that and the other. For guys, often, you know, in the 20-something age group, the, the, the big thing is you're not allowed to sleep around. That's a big issue with guys in that age group, right? Come on, you, got, you blokes all have friends. These are your mates we're talking about, right? It's true, right? This is the number one put-off factor for non-Christians. And we need to have a reasonable answer for that. We need to have a sensible solution, Play a lot of squash. That's always my solution, by the way. Boys? 
But seriously, we need to have answers because if you think about some of those blokes that, you know, just came to mind when I was mentioning the sex issue, right? Some of those people that you work with, you go to school with, you know, from high school, whatever. Really, what's Jesus mean to them? If you present them with some mamby-pamby, girly boy kind of Jesus person. You know those girly men. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, we need, we need to be clear about being able to present a strong Christ. And there's jolly good reasons for rules and regulations. But it's really not about rules and regulations. So the first thing I always say to people is, why are you hung up on the rules when you don't even know the dude? You don't even know Jesus and you want to talk about the rules. So, like, how about we don't talk about the rules? How about we just talk about Jesus and you can sort the rules out afterwards? Because you know what? In my life, in your life, don't sit there and look all innocent. In my life, in your life, Jesus is working out them rules every day, right? None of us here is done yet. So we need to be clear about that when we're presenting the gospel to people. We kind of, you know, we're so nice as Christians and we've got it all together and we're so good. Lord, help us. So, yeah, now you, some of you might, you know, ask that question, how did you become a pastor? That is a miracle in itself, isn't it? I get that a lot, especially from non-Christians. How did you get to be a pastor? Well, let me tell you the story. Sit down. Anyway, um, so clarity about who Jesus Christ is is absolutely a number one step. If you are not clear about who Jesus Christ is, you need to get into the Gospels. You need to read them, read them, and read them again. Start in Mark. Mark is good. Okay? Read the Gospels, until you know Jesus Christ as a human being, not just as God. And once you know Jesus Christ, then you can represent him, then you can speak for him, then you can be his ambassador. But, you know, don't be telling people about rules and regulations and man be pamby be nice to your neighbour business. Because there are days I don't even like my neighbour. Okay, so are we clear about what it is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, not the rules. Tired of rules. How many people here are sick and tired of rules? Okay, we're the Christians and we don't like the rules. What do you think the rest of them think of them? <laughs> so, again, clarity, clarity about who Jesus Christ is. If you're sharing the gospel, you're talking about Jesus Christ. And if you're sharing the gospel and you have to talk, you're not doing it well enough. Because remember, you're supposed to be sharing the gospel and only using words when you have to. You're bothering him. 
Don't make me smack you. Right. <laughs> Dude, I'm still trying to figure out who Justin Bieber is. <laughs> Some 12-year-old who sings or something. Okay. So, any questions? Yeah, I said one, two, three, four, actually. Should have kept up with it. Okay. Number two... Why the gospel makes sense in terms of intellectual reasoning? <laughs> okay. Well, I, okay. So, well, you, you can see the notes, but you know they may not be much job. <laughs> <laughs> These are the notes I always preach from people. I have tried the Pastor Mike style. I have tried the Jeremy Griffith style and it just doesn't work for me. Uh, I'm in my own style. Mm-hmm. Sharing Jesus. There you go. Oh, you mean the, the Christianity? The moralistic therapeutic deism. Well, <clears throat> what it means is, I'll read it again for you. Okay, it reduces God to something of a divine butler who remains aloof from his people until they summon him to address some felt need and who only asks that his people be nice to others. Deism. D-E-I-S-M. And unfortunately, most of, yeah, most of modern Christianity, and particularly in your generation, young adults, is based on this MTD idea, which is pretty empty. Other questions? Groovy. So I'm expecting that everyone's going to, you know, do some thinking. I'm expecting that you're going to follow up with some questions among yourselves and some discussion, and I'll be listening in for that. I, I expect some intellectual reasoning to go on, and I don't care if you never went to uni. You still have a brain. Use it. <laughs> okay, so there, there's no easy out. And baby brain doesn't count either, Mel. So, <laughs> big bump maybe, <laughs> swallowed a balloon. <laughs> okay, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. We thank you that as we read of Jesus in the Gospels, that he is a powerful, emotional, engaged man who changes the world around him, who clarifies truth, who's not afraid, Lord God, to stand up for what he believes in. Lord, we ask that you would teach us how to live that Jesus out in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
Um, yeah, thanks, Pascal. That was really very cool, very intellectual. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't unsurprised by that.